Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Gwinnett, it's time for Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you by Computer Design and Integration. Good morning and welcome to Silver Lining in the Cloud. We are your hosts, Nicole Toptosh and Dominic Rainey. Hey, Dom, how are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing great, Nicole. Hey, did you happen to have a chance to check the weather to see what kind of weather we're going to have for our show today? Well, actually, I did not. But one thing that I know for sure, the forecast in our studio is going to be fun because we have a full house of business leaders in the Atlanta area. In our studio today, we have Mark Lewin with GV Financial, Brad Lurie with Bright Light Systems, Lance Coachman with EXI Incorporated, as well as David Post with Future Security. Welcome, one and all, and thank you for being on the show. First up, we have Mark Lewin. Mark, tell me about your company and what do you do? Okay. Um, Well, uh, I'm president of GV Financial Advisors, one of the largest independent registered registered investment advisors in Atlanta. And I'd like to say that we operate at the intersection of wealth management and psychology. Okay. Well, you know, Mark, it seems like tax rates are going up, and now a variety of deductions and exemptions are under attack. Is there anything to do other than just accept much higher taxes on our business and personal wealth? Um, You know, if you've ever taken a look at the tax code, meaning gone to the library and pulled it off the shelf – you'll see that there's literally thousands of entries in it. It is one of the most complex, most difficult pieces of uh, literature, shall we say, uh, out there. And the answer is is that if you ask the right questions, then all types of opportunities to save taxes arise. And while there's a lot of publicity about uh, exemptions and deductions going away, actually there's still a tremendous amount of opportunity if you really understand what your situation is and how to take advantage of the opportunities that remain in the tax code. Okay. And if if there are good tax planning ideas out there, well, wouldn't my tax accountant or my lawyer tell me? You know, um, great tax accountants and lawyers are essential to a successful person's professional team. My experience has been that for some accountants and lawyers is that they tend to react to whatever the problem is presented uh, to them by their clients. The problem is is that there's no forum frequently for someone to ask questions that will create new opportunities or new ideas, again, relating to that tax code idea, so that often, rather than um, proactively seeking the opportunity to uh, help the client that way, again, the professionals often just react to the question or to the problem that's presented to them. Okay. Hey, Mark. um it seems that there's no shortage of great ideas out there, so why don't they get implemented? You know, I would certainly agree with that statement, and I think the issue is that even with great ideas, uh, people often react against the perceived complexity of those ideas, and also they um, have a, issues with how much risk they're taking as far as the IRS is concerned. And so I think there needs to be a process to help people understand their tolerance for complexity on the front end and also their tolerance for what we call strategy risk, meaning how much risk, how much gray you're willing to accept 
So what we'd like to do is be proactive about asking those questions, uh, bring the ideas up to the client, and then beforehand measure their complexity tolerance and measure their risk tolerance for, um, for proactive tax planning. And I think once the client understands that about himself or herself, much more likely to implement successfully. So, Mark, let's talk about selling a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is a financial advisor important? I mean, you know, what, uh, what can he add to the, uh, to the advice of a great CPA or investment banker, broker, or an attorney even? Great question. Well, as I mentioned at the outset to Nicole, we operate at the intersection of wealth management and psychology. And I think that we're all human, and when it comes to selling a business, let's say, um, for us, there's all types of things wrapped up in our business. There's all types of emotions and considerations relative to our kids and to our spouses, and this is something we may have nurtured for many years. And so uh, actually successfully executing the sale of a business is so often a matter of really understanding what the life priorities are um, of the individuals and how uh, the sale of a business will help people realize what those uh, long-held, dear life priorities are. And it may not be enough just to have cash. In fact, just having cash may end up leading to a, um, a life that is not as fulfilling as it might be had you thought about what really selling your business means to your personal life. Well, there, you know, that's great. There are a lot of great businesses out there, and uh, some people just have a hard time selling them. Absolutely. And so uh, what are other ways they can generate cash you know, from a business without selling it? Well, we call that uh, the idea and opportunity conversation. And what I mean by that is, back to my previous comments, if I ask enough questions, I'm going to uncover liquidity opportunities frequently for the business owner. For example, it may be surprising uh, for people to learn that there's something called an employee stock ownership plan, ESOP. And really, you're selling your business um, to your employees technically, but what you're really doing is maintaining control of the business. You are um, have the opportunity to generate a lot of cash from that sale in an incredibly tax-efficient manner, and yet um, you really don't have to have a buyer per se. Um, and it's a beautiful thing when it works. There is no tax on the sale of business. You can potentially permanently defer a capital gains tax, which is now owe 30 to 40 percent on the sale of your stock of your business. And the opportunity to generate cash without a buyer is one of the great unknown opportunities um, for business owners. We are talking today with Mark Lewin from GV Financial. Mark, what would you say is one of the, the biggest barriers to accumulating and preserving wealth for a business owner or really for any successful business person? You know, I think one of the biggest barriers, Nicole, is ourselves. Um, Our heads are one of the biggest barriers. Um, I was just talking with someone before we got on the air about the stock market and how well it's doing. And here's what I hear all the time. The stock market is an all-time high. I'm scared. Um, Well, a few years ago, the stock market was plunging. And what was our reaction? I'm scared. There's never a time when we're not scared. And so, So right? And so the question is, how do we manage our emotions in order to be able to be successful? And it's not just with the direction of the stock market, but all types of investment decisions. So when I say that we are our biggest enemy in terms of wealth accumulation and preservation, I mean that anxiety, that anxiety that we have when we wake up in the morning, when we read books, we read articles, uh, websites, they're all an assault on our success. 
And so the question is, how do you um, address that fundamental idea that your emotions are your biggest enemy to being successful? Right, right. You know, there are so many uh, different um, ideas and so many different plans. How do you decide which planning idea, no matter how wonderful, is the right fit for a client? Is it one size fit all? What we like to say is that, uh, back to my um, previous point, is that we really need to understand the answer to this fundamental question, which is, if you and I are sitting here, meaning I as your advisor and you as the client, three years from today, what has to happen in your life for you to feel good about the progress you've made? And so when we ask that to our clients, they tell us what a great life looks like. And if these different planning ideas don't fit within that great life scenario that we're trying to create for our clients, then it's a bad idea. Um, different ideas have different costs and benefits. We have, might have a way that we can sell your business and pay no taxes, but it may be that you can't access because, uh, your cash for several years because of a particular type of trust we've set up for you. Well, that may not meet your ideal three-year plan or your five-year plan, your 10-year plan. So the question is, or the real answer to your question is, um, how do we discover what the client really wants, and then how do we connect the dots to the great ideas? Okay, great. Mark, tell us, how can our listeners reach out to you to find out more about your services? I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you can reach me at mark.lewin, uh, M-A-R-C dot L-E-W-Y-N at gvfinancial, one word, dot com, or at 770-295-5605. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Mark with GV Financial. Next up on our broadcast is Brad Lurie with Bright Light Systems. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Nicole. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. Brad, tell me about your company and what do you do? So Bright Light Systems is an innovative uh, company in the lighting space, specifically in the uh, energy-efficient lighting arena, which is, uh, which is a very, very large market. And everything you pick up the paper and you read about all the mandates and the uh, government regulatories around changing our lighting we have uh, we've chosen a path in uh, high wattage lighting. So our focal points are in ports such as the Georgia Port Authority, uh, airports, rail yards, military bases. We even get into some areas like correctional facilities, uh, lumber mills. So we're providing an energy efficient alternative to high wattage lighting. And let me uh, put that in context for you. Uh, in essence. We're helping our clients reduce their last non-value-added overhead charge, which is energy and utility spend. And so the lighting technology that we utilize today employs what's called light-emitting plasma as our light source. And so we are about 55% more efficient than what we're displacing. We then coupled that with some wireless controls and an automation system we call our energy data management system. And so by incorporating the controls and the automation, it allows us to optimize lighting. And so on top of the 55% savings that we're yielding with the technology, we're providing another 25 to 30 points of savings with the energy and automation system. So at the end of the day, what we're helping our customers do is eliminate about 80 to 85% of their utility spend around their lighting. 
That sounds like a great deal. Brad, give us a little background on just how Bright Light Systems got started. So it goes back in 2010, and we were approached by uh, NASA to do a, a, a fixture development that could withstand the severe heat and vibration of a launch sequence. And so in the back rooms, we put together our first LED fixture, light-emitting diodes. And so light-emitting diodes is what you read about every day, and they're, they're the next generation of energy-efficient solid-state lighting. And we created a, a, a unique design that would allow us to be able to withstand those heat and vibrations uh, of a launch sequence. We sent it to the people at NASA. Uh, the first thing that they did is they, they did the four-foot table drop. They took the fixture from four feet, dropped it on the ground, and then plugged it in, and the lights came on. They said, okay, so it, it does meet the ruggedness. And then they put in some heat chambers and did some testing around that. Well, that was wonderful, and, and the folks at NASA really liked what we were offering. And they had uh, put together a, uh, an earmark for the company, for Bright Light Systems, and we thought, this is fantastic. You know, we're a startup. We're off to the races. We've got the endorsement of a NASA. You know, what, what a great thing. And then, uh, if you recall, back in, in uh, late 2010, the administration cut a lot of the funding, and the team uh, was basically dismantled. And so the project came to a halt. Um, we, as the founders of the company, realized that we had something pretty unique and special if we had the attention of NASA. So, you know, we spent a weekend away doing the uh, deep dive MBA uh, business plan and looking at the market and trying to understand what we wanted to do. And we realized that, you know, we were addressing a real need. So initially we thought, well, we're going to be this industrial lighting company and we're going to focus in these harsh and hazardous environments and we're going to play in the petroleum arena and we're going to play in some of these heavy industrial markets. And then it was shortly thereafter that we were approached by, uh, by the Port Authority out in California uh, where they had some new initiatives and they had uh, initiatives called Dark Skies, which is trying to eliminate light pollution. They also have this new mandate coming out for the ports called cold ironing, which means when the ships come into shore, they have to turn off their diesel generators and plug into shore power. Mm. Well, the interesting part of that is, of course, you read about California utilities and the limited uh, amount of utilities. So, you know, our customer had a need to eliminate a lot of their utility consumption to free up power for this cold ironing mandate. And so we sat down and talked about their three primary initiatives, which was compliance with the dark skies, so no light pollution. They have neighborhoods around, so they want light on the ground, not shining outwards, reducing their energy. And then, of course, they have a pretty high maintenance uh, requirement out at this particular site. So we did our initial, uh, took, took the uh, knowledge that we had gained from the NASA experience, and we developed a, an LED fixture. And... We, plugged, we, we hung it up 80 feet in the air, turned it on. It was bright, but it didn't put the light on the ground. <laughs> and so that caused us to have to pivot from a technology standpoint. And so as an early-stage company, we realized the only thing that was going to get us the amount of light we needed from 85 to 100 feet in the air was light-emitting plasma. So we developed the very first light-emitting plasma high-mass fixture, and that's uh, what we've built our business around today. Okay. And why did you choose Georgia for your headquarters? Tell well, us about that. Well, there, there's personal and then there's business. Personal is, you know, I, I'm actually from Georgia, and as the president and CEO of the company, I do get to make some of those decisions. <laughs> uh, but really it was around talent. And if you look in, uh, in Georgia, you have two of the world's largest 
lighting companies that are headquartered here in Georgia, one being Acuity Brands Lighting, the other being Cooper Lighting. If you look at the, uh, at the knowledge and the talent in this space, we have this wonderful institution called Georgia Institute of Technology, and then my alma mater is Southern Polytechnical State University. So two great engineering resources here. And then in the southeast, there's a tremendous amount of, of knowledge in the lighting space. Okay. Hey, Brad, uh, what, what, so what makes uh, Bright Light Systems unique? Great question, Dom. Uh, we think our uniqueness comes in, in twofold. One is that we, we decided we didn't just want to be a light fixture manufacturer. We didn't want to be only luminaires. So we incorporated what we talked about, our energy data management platform, which is a control, uh, wireless control and automation system. And so flip side of, of being a luminaire, we didn't just want to be an automation house. And so what we wanted to do is be a, a lighting solutions provider. And so what we're learning from our customers today is they don't want to buy a light fixture. They don't want to buy an automation. They want to buy light when they want it and where they want it. And so by combining both pieces of the technology, both the hardware and the software technology, makes us extremely unique. Um, when we look at the overall lighting space, it's about $120 billion worldwide, growing to somewhere around $125 billion over the next 10 years. In the controls piece of that, that started out as $2 billion in 2010, and they're expecting that to grow to over $20 billion by 2020. These aren't my numbers. These come from McKenzie's from a lighting study that was done and recently updated, and that's all you know, publicly available uh, information. Cool. Hey, uh, I don't want to scare you with any technical questions here today, but uh, can you could you tell us the, the difference between light-emitting plasma and LED? Absolutely. So, so both are categorized under solid-state lighting, and LED, light-emitting diodes, is, is what you'll pick up the paper and you walk into your Home Depot or your big box, and you know there's a big push to reduce, and, and there's a mandate to eliminate incandescence in your home's uh, in, an, in an office environment, you know, your, your typical lights like you have in a, in a business uh, room of, of the four-foot troughers or the two-foot troughers, a lot of emphasis around LEDs for the low illuminance applications. And we're talking, you know, 250-watt applications or less. And so LEDs started in 1967 in computers and, and for coloring and, and for signaling and so that has evolved into the general lighting, automotive, televisions, and again, generally in low illuminance applications. Um, light emitting plasma is a single point light source that yields extremely high lumens of, of light. And let me give you an example. A, a single LED we use as a replacement for a 45 watt incandescent. A single LEP or plasma light source will use that to replace a 400 watt uh, light. So we've, we've taken this high lumen technology of light emitting plasma, incorporated that into fixtures in order to be able to provide uh, a 400,000 watt replacement. Wow. Being a leader in your industry, uh, what, uh, has Bright Light received any, uh, any uh, recent awards or accolades? Well, we have. Thank, thanks. Uh, you know, most recently we were recognized by the Technology Association of Georgia as being one of the top 10 most innovative companies in the state. So that was a, a huge uh, accolade. And then uh, we participated in a couple of accelerator programs, and one through the uh, Pacific International Center for High Technology Research, where we were awarded a couple of grants that are funded through the Department of Energy. Great. 
We've been talking today again with Brad Lurie with Bright Light Systems. Brad, can you tell our listeners the best way to reach out to you? Absolutely. So the easiest way is our website, www.brightlightsystems.com, B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-G-H-T-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S.com. Great. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you by CDI Managed Services. Our next guest today is Lance Coachman with EXI Incorporated. Welcome, Lance. Tell me about your company and what do you do? Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm with EXI, which is an executive search firm. It's a national search firm. We identify talent for corporations and organizations and normally in areas which they're having difficulty or some unusual challenges. Okay. And what type of person usually benefits from <coughs> using an executive recruiter? Normally a person that has a experience level, normally a person that has a track record, normally a person that is mobile in many cases. Uh, Entry-level people don't do so well, and people at the very end of their career sometimes have difficulties. Lance, what, what, what things do companies seek when they're engaged uh, an executive recruiter? Normally, they're looking for someone who's around the 98th percentile of the desired requirements. Uh, I would say that a company like Coke might get 50,000 resumes on a job, and probably of the 50,000, 98% of the people don't have exactly what they're looking for. Hmm. And, and what, what, what should a candidate expect from a company that is using a recruiter to hire? Normally, the recruiter should know a little bit about the intimate details of the job. In most cases, we've talked to the hiring manager. You know what that person's background is, what their preferences are. You know if they went to uh, Southern Poly. If you know if they went to Georgia Tech, you know what they value. You know what they consider to be reliable sources of talent. So you can actually help the candidates understand what the buying points are. Excellent. Excellent. So what kind of research should a candidate do prior to a to a to an interview? Well, one I say you should know the competitors, you should know where this particular company stands in the marketplace, you should know something about the financials, you should know something about the people you're interviewing with. Hopefully you'll know a little bit about why the job is available. Is the last person in the job promoted or ran off? And if there's been a series of people ran off. Is it the job? Is it the manager? You have a right to interview the company as much as they have a right to interview you. And then it comes down to money usually, right? So Money uh, is only one part. The people mm. who take jobs for money usually don't do well. Upward mobility. If your boss is 40 and you're 40, so if he gave you a raise, you'd still be stuck. Right. So upward mobility is really the payoff. If you had a company that develops people, you know, certain companies invest into the people. GE pays mid-range money, but they train phenomenally. So in five years, when you leave or stay, you're going to be much more valuable. Should a candidate actually negotiate a salary? Yes. What you want to do is um, never ask for a set amount. Set the expectations based on what you currently have. And say, I'm only looking for a good opportunity, but I want to stay whole. If you ask for too much, it eliminates you. If you ask for too little, they'll give it to you. Wow. 
Thank you Good so stuff. much, Lance. And tell us, please, how can our listeners get in contact with you? Good question. Uh, I would say by you can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at exicareers.com or go to www.exicareers.com. Thank you very much. Our next guest on our panel today is David Post from Future Security. Good morning, David. Good morning. Tell us about Future Security and what do you do? Well, Future Security is a 40-year-old security management and consulting organization that I head up. And basically what we do is everything from helping companies set up their initial security programs, screening, hiring, firing, and everything in between. Uh, We also act as uh, on-call security directors. We can help a company set up an initial shoplifting prevention program, robbery prevention, or we can investigate employee theft, as we do. Okay. And what kind of companies do you provide services for? We do everything from small mom-and-pop companies to Fortune 500s. Okay. And how did you get started in the business? Well, 40 years ago, I was uh, a Roswell police officer. And uh, prior to that, I did security and investigative work while I was working my way through school. So when I moved to Georgia... uh, I decided to do psychiatric work for a year, work with drug addicts, problem kids, then went with the Roswell Police Department and decided, as most police officers do, you need to make a little bit more money. So having a security and investigative background, I decided, well, I think I'll just start a little company and it'll, uh, it'll be a part-time job and it'll help supplement my police income. And uh, so I started the company in 72 And in 1973, things were really popping. I was getting a lot of customers, and I had to make a decision. So I turned in my two-week notice, and I was next in line for the chief's job. Makes sense. David, uh, based on all that experience you've got in the security and the police work you've done, um, what would you say is, uh, you know, regarding the crime in this country? What's the outlook regarding the crime? Well, it's a, you know, it's really a strange situation, and it's actually one that I don't think we've seen uh, prior. You know, the Bible says when people lose hope, basically crime will increase. And I think that what's happened is a lot of people are losing hope. And uh, one of the things that I've seen, because most of my time is spent handling employee theft situations, um, the one I'm looking at now, a, a facility has lost over a million dollars in one year in inventory. What's happening now that really didn't happen as much before was that now you have employees that are stealing for relatives of their families that need help. You might have a brother or sister or cousin uh, that's in dire straits, and you have the opportunity to help them. You may have never stolen the thing before, but now you'll steal to help them. Wow. It's kind of a unique situation. Mm, that is unique. What areas do you guys cover currently? Uh, most of our work is in the southeast, uh, but we'll go anywhere in the country. We've done work. Uh, uh, we've done work out west, uh, Ohio. Uh, we go wherever we're called, basically. You know, I happen to notice that uh, your your organization is quite philanthropic. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that uh, program that you're supporting care well, we, for cops? Well, we personally uh, donate to probably 15 different organizations, but the one that uh, I spent a lot of time with is one I started 13 years ago called Care for Cops. And what we do is we fill a niche. Usually what happens when a police officer, uh, 
a law, any law enforcement officer, and this is just in the state of Georgia, uh, is killed, is that all the insurance may not come in for weeks or more. And I don't know too many law enforcement officers that don't have a part-time job to supplement their income. Well, that stops immediately. So our, uh, our main charge is to immediately, once we've determined it's a line-of-duty death, is to get them a check. They've got their mortgage to pay. They've got kids in school. They still need lunch. Uh, the bill's still coming on. During this really traumatic time, this is when we, we send that check. Excellent. You've been listening to David Post with Future Security. So, David, uh, what's the best way for a company or, or an individual to get in touch with you or your company? Well, they can, they can call us at uh, 678-541-0950, or they can reach me on, uh, at my email, which is dpostfsi at aol.com. Great. great, great. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud, where we talk business to business. A special thank you today to all of our guests, Mark Lewin with GV Financial, Brad Lurie with Bright Light Systems, Lance Coachman with EXI Incorporated, and David Post with Future Security. Thank you all for being on the show. I'm Nicole Toptosh, along with my co-host, Dominic Rainey, with CDI Managed Services where we work with companies to maximize their investment in IT infrastructure and cloud solutions and support. To listen to this show and other Silver Lining in the Cloud broadcasts, go to silverlining.businessradiox.com. Until next time, remember, when it comes to IT solutions and cloud computing, CDI Managed Services is your Silver Lining in the Cloud. Thank you.